Support for Class Dismissed comes from School Status. School Status helps educators at every level take control of student data for increased outcomes and meaningful stakeholder engagement. Find out more at schoolstatus.com. You are listening to Class Dismissed, episode 185, and I'm your host, Nick Ortego. The Biden administration lets us know where they stand when it comes to requiring state tests amidst a pandemic. We'll break it down. Stay with us. Last Dismissed is the podcast that inspires educators through story. Each week, we cover some of the hottest topics and news in the world of education. Plus, we hear from a guest with a bright idea for education that you can apply in your community. This week, you may know our guest from the Discovery Channel. It's Les Stroud, also known as Survivor Man, and he's teaching us how we can educate kids using the outdoors. Hello, everybody. Nick Ortego here, and I'm joined by friend, principal, and co-host Christina Pollard. Christina, how are you doing? I am fantastic, and I want to tell you happy birthday. Hey, you know, we were talking before we started recording. You didn't say anything, but I appreciate I you saving it for the, yeah, you get my natural reaction. Yes. it is. Did you know it's technically not my birthday today? No. <laughs> I so, mean, you just took all the air out of my balloon. <laughs> <laughs> so so today is, uh, we'll, we'll be honest with the date. Today is February 28th. And so Facebook and, and the world, you know, celebrates my birthday on February 28th. But my real birthday because is February 29th. And there is no February right, 29th this year. baby. Yeah. So it's always kind of like funny. It's like, yeah, I just, I just roll along with it. Like, yep, this is my day. But it's not really. Um, and well, I used you just to- get two days. You get today and you get tomorrow. Yeah, I'll take March 1st, too. It's it's funny because um, I used to always keep up with like when it's a birthday year. It's just, you know, I could do the math. But uh, whenever you there's an Olympics. Like big celebration. Well, it's usually whenever there's a Summer Olympics. And ah. there was no Summer Olympics last year when I actually had a birthday. So everything's thrown off. Um, and Summer Olympics is now going to be this year in 2021, if all mm-hmm. things go according to plan. Hey, I actually, speaking of um, getting older, I felt really old today, or it was actually a few days ago, I came across, do you ever watch the Holderness family videos? I don't. Okay, these guys, they're YouTube stars, it's like this family, and they like do songs and stuff, and they've been around for several years, I think they're pretty successful, even judging by their house, it's pretty nice, so I think they're doing good I in the YouTube I think I'm world. living under a rock. Thing. Yeah, but anyhow, um, this one came out, and I normally don't keep up with their stuff, but it, I think it was so popular, it bubbled all the way up to me, and it was talking about just kind of how like kids today, like things that are now out of style, and all the things they're referring to, I had no idea are not cool anymore. So, <laughs> yeah, so, I better get a hold of this. Right. So like skinny jeans are you are like apparently. Oh, I thought they were still cool. Apparently not. Side parts, which apparently that's what that's the song I'm about to play for you. Um, that's not cool anymore. And then like the crying, the laughy crying emoji is apparently out of style now. You don't do that anymore. Did you know any of this? Absolutely not. I mean, <laughs> and I'm ashamed. I wore my skinny jeans yesterday. <laughs> right. Let me play the clip for you. We'll play a little bit. It's pretty funny. Quit throwing shade on her part. Her side part. Side part. When did this baggy jeans thing start? When did it start? Baby. I like to text my girl. 
now she is making fun of me She says the crying laugh is so old And now I'm supposed to use a skull Or I could say I can't Or I'm dead I don't like that I have to be dead What do you think? Well, first of all, I have been trying to figure out the whole skull use. I have used I can't quite a bit, but I love my laughing, crying emoji. I know. I will continue to use I'm it. I'm not ready to give up. That that was the one thing. Like I did I never wore skinny jeans. So like I that just never worked for me as a guy. But um so Well, I'm, I'm I think okay. a lot the skinny jeans for guys were more along the lines of the jogger style. Yeah, I do wear those. Yeah. Um yeah, and so that's their they're slim at the ankle. But if they're saying skinny jeans are out for women, I'm confused. Oh, my wife's upset, like, because she likes skinny <laughs> jeans. And... But we're not about to switch to what? B- baggy jeans? Yeah, so it's not, it's kind of different. It, I don't even know how to describe it. They almost like a little tighter at the top, but then they, yeah, they mm-hmm. get baggy and like rips are cool apparently now. Um, uh, no, I'm not doing all that. Yeah, and so the reason Leslie doesn't like them is because like it's something about like the length and trying to judge it with like heels or no heels. And then you got to have like multiple you know, links, but with skinny jeans, like everything was the same length. So that was kind of her gripe. I'm just not going to worry about it. And I'm not about to use a skull. <laughs> like I feel like, and, and you know, how no. if I start sending my kids the skull and I think something's funny, then that's going to make the skull not cool. So I don't even know what to do anymore. I don't think it's cool and, anyway. Well, it was a perfect segue for me getting older is all I know. And, and I definitely feel you didn't even way. tell the world your age. Come on, give us the deets. Uh, yeah. So I would be um, 10 years old since I born on leap day. Stop. <laughs> no, 41. 41 years old. Oh, so. you're still a baby. No, I don't know about that. I, I I definitely am over the hill. So Hey, we are going to rock out in our 40s. No one will take that from us. Right. I'll take it. I'll, I'll go with that. I'm, I do feel young sometimes until I get around my yeah. kids. You know, like usually I'm mm-hmm. like, I'm not old. And then they remind me kind of like the emoji thing. Let's talk about what's going on in the world of education. I I really want your opinion on this. You know, we didn't really know um, where the Biden administration would be in the world of testing. But now we know because just recently the Biden administration is saying we must do state testing. And I I know we've talked about this before. I think Georgia. He made it plain, didn't he? Yeah. I mean, California, New Jersey, New York, Illinois, Michigan, like state leaders there have kind of been like, don't worry about it. We're not going to count this year. And now it looks like the Biden administration is saying, nope, this is something we're going to do. Like We have to report these indicators. Well, they're still correct. Accountability is what's been thrown out the window. We still have to go through the rigmarole of actually bringing children in the building and testing them. Um, What all of our states have been able to get taken care of is making sure that teachers don't feel the pressure of accountability. But at the same time, you need to recognize that as soon as that data comes back, it will still be published and you're still going to be judged. Um, The other hurtful part about that is if you are a low-performing school, you carry that low-performing grade or letter or number um, into the new year. And that can have a negative, you know, sense about it. Um, If you're high-performing and you could care less, um, and those schools who 
did their absolute best during the pandemic, like a lot of schools in the South. We've been in face-to-face all year long, but we've had so many challenges with trying to teach our children, especially we go back to that equity issue about laptops and internet and all of that. And now to be required to test our students face-to-face, I mean, there's just a myriad of feelings. Um, And it's so interesting that you bring this up because I literally uh, was thinking about this earlier. Um, Someone asked me my opinion. And they didn't like what I had to say. Number one, we know we have to test. Suck it up, buttercup. We've got to do it. You know what I mean? Right. And it's all about your perspective. If you're going to be negative, if you want to argue and fight and picket it, you know, every day about it, then you're just creating a very negative, toxic environment for your team, for your students and for your parents. And that's how I feel from the administrative perspective is that, you know, I can't change it, especially now that it's come down from DOE. So let's just do what we got to do. Let's hype our kids up as best as we can. Let's give them what they need. And let's just try to see what type of growth, if any, that we made this year. But if nothing else, here is the bottom line. You ready? Ready. We will know the severe impact or lack of that the pandemic year of instruction had on our students when we get that data back. That's a valid point. Yes. And it will give us great insight on what we need to do beginning August 1st. And I just feel like let's just take it and go with it. But if we give up because, oh, it's a pandemic and I'm just going to fight this, then you're standing the chance of actually hurting how your students might perform for you, which could cause your community to, you know, come for you next, next fall. So I think you just made a point that I did not even cross my mind. Like historically, it is important for us to test. Like this is, this is a year where I think 20 years from now, you know, people in education, academics will say, well, what happened when that pandemic happened and everyone had to learn remotely? And what can we learn from that? So I think it is good mm-hmm. to have that data. That That is a great thing. Uh, the other thing I would call on is, like you said, I mean, I'm not trying to be pessimistic, but the likelihood of, of districts jumping during the challenges that we've had over the past year it's, it's probably pretty slim. Am I wrong? Am I, or am jumping, I real, what do you... Like, I mean, jumping. the likelihood of, of schools doing better when they come on the test. Am, uh, am I being pessimistic I, or realist? I, I think you're being a realist, but you just never know. Let's talk about the ESSER funds and what they did for poor school districts um, and, and high poverty areas like the area that I serve in. Um, by the end of the first term, we were able to have a device in every child's hand. We were able to upgrade every device the teachers were using to teach remotely or to provide that virtual learning for those students who were at home to have a successful hybrid situation. Um, the ESSER funds ensured that schools had um, better PPE and materials that were needed to provide instruction in such a crazy um, time. And so I, I just don't know. Now, let's just be real here. Okay, let's hit home. Um, One year ago, I accepted the position that I'm in right now. Mm -hmm, And I took over a failing school, high poverty, low performing. However, I feel really good in a sense that if we can get our students to test and if our students and teachers stay focused over the next six weeks before we actually begin the state testing window, we may not jump multiple letter grades. But I do think that we'll bring in um, more accountability points than the school saw in the past. 
but you cannot compare the apples and oranges. There's no way to tabulate growth right now because students did not um, test a year ago. Yeah. But I just feel like my teachers have made such great strides. Their collaboration, um, the improvement of instructional practices, the resources and learning management management systems that we've put in place. I mean, I'm just going to speak for myself. I just really feel like um, we will just look better um, than people are predicting. And so I just, I'm not going with a doomsday type of attitude. I'm just I, not. I like it. And you deserve to be applauded for that, especially if you you pull that off. I would say this, um, I know we don't necessarily have media folks that listen to this show, um, but I would caution local media f- um, on how they frame this. I, I hope yes. I hope they don't frame this in the same way that they have in the past where it's, oh, this school went up, this school went down and so forth. Uh, you know, I, I think this is way more complex and they just don't Correct. look at numbers. Um, so mm-hmm. I guess what I would say is if you're a, a principal or a superintendent and you are interacting with local media, I would remind them the situation that, that we've been in because these are often young reporters out there and sometimes they just read through stuff and they make assumptions and, and mm-hmm. I, they may not have the full perspective of what educators have really been up to over the past year because those tests i mean you know they impact so much i mean they impact real estate they do right like i mean it's absolutely it's it's across the board um what they can do for communities so you agree that we need to push ahead and do testing so you agree with this decision by the biden administration if i was able to make the decision from the top like biden i would have you know, key people presenting to me the pros, the cons, and the greater impact of not testing, Mm -hmm. especially when you're discussing federal funding, because all of that is all wrapped in and and woven together. Um, I think that if I had to look at the perspective of lives lost, jobs lost, um, small businesses decimated, communities struggling and hurting, I probably would have made a different decision. As an educator, I do think that the data will be relevant. Does that make sense? Yes. No, absolutely. I, I hear exactly what you're saying. I, I, w- I should point out that um, the Department of Education apparently is granting states lots of flexibility um, when it comes to these current accountability systems. Is there, well, um, that's true. They're going to invite um, states. states. Yeah, it says, uh-huh. it says states will be able to request waivers um, yeah. for a requirement that they use this data to identify failing schools. Um, the waivers would also exempt schools from the current requirement that at least 95% of the students participate in the testing. That's true because um, parents can opt out. And so how are you going to force people to come in the building to right. take the assessment? I think you're going to see, and this is just a wild prediction. I'm, I literally just crossed my mind. You had all those schools in the North and possibly in the West that didn't attend up until, you know, I think recently. Or, or maybe um, still not in, right? It's still not in or recently reopening their doors. Um, if they get the opportunities to get those waivers and not test some type of way or not reveal their results Whereas schools in the South, we know how we do it in our state. It's hitting the paper as fast as it can. There's going to be a lot of hurt and turmoil. Yeah. And speak, speaking of hitting the paper, just so you realize how that works, the Department of Education in Mississippi, they normally release the results uh, three, four days in advance to the media and then embargo those results. And they do that yeah. so the media can sort through it all. But you're right. Like when you say it hits the paper, like it, it's immediate that. Yeah, um, but the, when they release it, it's out to everyone and people are already looking at it and already forming their opinions, regardless of the mm-hmm. five o'clock news five days later. Right. No, no doubt. Um, so uh, this should be interesting on how it plays out. Um, we've got a, a pretty special uh, Brad Idea segment 
in today's show, and uh, it's a little longer than normal, so I'm going to cut our segment a little on the shorter side today. Um, yeah, it's going to be great. Yeah, we're, we're talking to um, Survivor Man. I don't know if you guys have ever used to watch <laughs> the Discovery Network, or he was also on the Science Channel, the guy who would go into the wilderness and actually live by himself, film himself. He was a one-man crew um, and teach people how to survive. He has written a book directed for kids. So, uh, oh, that's awesome. Yeah. Can't wait to share it. It's exciting. Stay tuned. You may know our guest in today's Brad Idea segment from the Discovery Channel or Science Channel. In fact, he's been credited as the guy who created a new type of TV program known as Survival TV. Les Stroud is also known as Survivor Man. He's traveled over half a million miles around the globe, teaching his TV audience how to survive and respect the outdoors. Now Les is releasing a book targeted at children ages 8 to 12. It's designed to inspire outdoor adventures. The book is called Wild Outside Around the World with Survivor Man. Les, we appreciate you joining us on Class Dismissed. Welcome. Thank you very much. Yeah, good to be here. I'm so excited to have you here. Uh, I've been a fan of your show. I'm a fan of the outdoors myself. And and so when the opportunity came up, wanted to make sure we got you on. Um, you, you have to tell us, so why would a guy who's been doing this survival stuff, doing the TV thing, decide to jump in and make a book for children? Oh, because it's not really a jump in. Uh, in fact, for many years before I began producing uh, documentary works, uh, I was guiding kids. I was teaching kids uh, all outdoor adventure stuff. I mean, probably 15 years of, of, of working as a professional guide. And when you were, every professional guide knows this. When you work as a professional guide, you do your high-end stuff. You get flown to the Nahani River. You get, you know, dropped off on a mountain. You do all these things with, you know, rich people and, and adults, but there's always those shoulder seasons. And what do you usually do? You usually work for a kid's camp or something like that. And uh, I actually ran an outdoor center, which we focused on school groups. So I spent years guiding hundreds of kids out on uh, wilderness adventures. So it, it wasn't really a jump in for me more than anything. It was uh, an, it's about time kind of project for me. So I'd already written um, three nonfiction books, uh, uh, directed at adults. And then the second part of this equation is that even all of the work I have done for adults it has such a huge following amongst kids. I mean, there were kids dressing up as Survivor Man for Halloween 10 years ago. You know, so when that happens, you've got, that's, that's pretty big vindication right there. And, and uh, so, you, you know, I knew that, uh, that kids loved my work regardless. It, it was always family-friendly work that I, that I produced for the most part. And, uh, you know, scouts are big on it and so on. So, yeah, as I say, it wasn't so much a jump in. It was more of a, it's about time. In the book, you actually break down, I think, 12, what I would call Survivor Man stories. Um, when you were trying to determine, you know, you've, you have this long career of doing this. When you're trying to decide which of these 12 stories I'm going to pick. Was that hard for you or do you kind of have 12 that stuck out for you? You know, in the very beginning, I just went with my whim. I just let it happen like, okay. Well, I, I got to tell the story of being chased up, you know, uh, having to climb up a tree because I was chased by a bull moose. That's got to tell that story. And I got to tell the story of going down Norway and, the mount, you know, the mountainside almost becoming hypothermic. But the, um, but the thing is, once you amass those stories, uh, you realize the book can only be so long <laughs> for one. So now you have to edit to that. But the other side of it was, but what, which of these stories actually tell a lesson? teach a lesson, show you something you should do, something you should not do. And, you know, every once in a while, there's a story that kind of doesn't really teach a lot or, or what, it, you know, if you try to 
put a lesson on it. It's a bit of a stretch kind of thing. So it was easy to then um, edit through, you know, a multitude of adventure stories and say, this one's got a really great lesson in adaptability. This one's got a really great lesson in how to prepare. You know, um, this has got a really great lesson in the proper way to react to a, to a, to a situation. And that's how I then began to condense the stories down and, and, and pick the favorites. But, but I was, you know, there was no bathwater being thrown out. It was more a matter of, 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 of really picking from a lot of options because there's still a ton of stories left. And that's why I'm, I'm hoping at some point, uh, Anik and I are talking about, uh, you know, uh, the, the second uh, second version. You were saying how to prepare is in the book. And I think that might even be the first chapter. It's prepare. And, and I think that's a lesson for kids that goes well beyond the outdoors. I mean, just like if you're a Cub Scout or a Boy Scout and you're taught how to prepare, um, that can apply in real life situations, does it not? Well, you know, really what you're touching on is, is that um, what I show and share is always all about nature. So I'm always focused in on this concept of it's, I just want you going back out in nature. The, everything that I ever did as Survivor Man was, was about connecting people to nature. That was the, that was the subtext, the subtext. Let me, I just want you out there. Um, but then you do learn that, yeah, the, the lessons that you learn out there, uh, they're very well uh, adapted to real life and what we're dealing on a daily basis and, and, and different situations, survival situations. I have a whole thing that I, teach called my, my zones of assessment. Uh, and, uh, I, I talk about it as if you're on the side of a river and you've dumped your canoe and your paddles are broken and, you know, sure it, it plays out very well there, but it, it works, you know, um, in, in the city in, in a, it works in business. It works in, in school, it works in social situations of, you know, sort of thing where you, where you stop and you assess the situation and you, you make a calm decision. So, so yeah, I think, I think it, it's, it's, um, it's, there's no stretch there from the lessons you learn in the wilderness over to the lessons that you learn uh, that you, or, or how to apply them in real life. I know a lot of kids, um, they live in urban areas. And so this idea of being able to go out into the wilderness and, and experience that may seem far-fetched to them. But I noticed that, I guess, you grew up in an urban area, did you not? Yes. And I think that's the key to this book is under, and, and the key to my expression of nature connectedness is to remember that, uh, you know, if people think they have to go to Peru or they have to become a downhill skier that gets dropped out of a helicopter or they have to be, you know, so off in the middle of the, the jungle, that's not the case. You know, the adventure with nature, uh, is there even in urban wilderness? I mean, before I could get out to Peru and go to the Amazon jungle, I would go to a creek in behind a hospital in the middle of Toronto. So <laughs> that's one of the less, or one of the things I want to impart upon this, is, uh, impart with this book, is that, you know, just go to your backyard. Now, granted, some people live in apartments and condominiums. They don't have a backyard. No, they don't. But even in New York City, you can go to Central Park, you know, if you're in Manhattan. Yeah. Or that I can't remember the name of the trail. I think they call it the, the light the light trail or the skyway. I don't know. So there's these trails. So even if you're in an urban environment, the ability to go out and explore actual nature is still there. Now much of it is, you know, covered over. And I don't want to get too political here, but it's covered over with pavement and glass and steel. But there are parks. There are places you can go. And and for example, I, I know one. I remember one time a woman said to me, you know, she said, 
my daughter's three years old and, I, and I'm, I'm not sure how to get my daughter interested in nature. And I, and I said, well, do you have a, uh, do you live in a house? And she, yeah. I said, do you have in a backyard? She goes, yeah. I said, well, then let your daughter be out in the backyard in the mud. Let her get dirt up her fingernails. Let her pull a worm out of the ground and it breaks off halfway and it makes her cry and she comes in and let her experience that. To me, that is the beginning of all wilderness adventure is 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 the is the park on the corner. In the book, I know you do a lot of breakouts um, where it almost is like, you know, try this at home. Like you're, you want the kids to actually do these projects. Um, one that really jumped out at me because all of our listeners are mostly educators and um, just about every educator ends up doing a weather unit at some point in their career. And and you do talk about, you know, tracking weather patterns. And, and there's this whole theme in education right now where you want to make things real. And I thought, what what a great opportunity here to have Survivor Man kind of teach kids about weather patterns. Can you kind of describe that a little bit? When you work with a publisher as excellent as Anik, and they've been so wonderful to me in this whole process, because even though I've been teaching kids for years, I haven't been writing for them. So I had lessons to learn. You know, I mean, I'll, I'll tangent a bit and say, for example, I had to say, how, you know, how am I, I'll send them a, a chapter and I'll go, did I just talk above their heads? Uh, or did I talk beneath them? Like learning that language zone of what kids can understand and what they can, they can riff with once you present it to them was new to me. Uh, and so with the development of the book, uh, Anik was great on knowing how to uh, present something to children, to kids that they would accept, that they would like, that they would get into. And so it's one thing for me to say, hey, I went to the Amazon jungle and I got chased by a jaguar and ain't I cool? It's another thing to say, I, I did that, and here's the lessons I learned from that. You can learn these lessons too. But it's yet another thing to say, oh, and here's something you can go right now and practice in your backyard. Have you ever heard of eyeshine? Let me tell you about eyeshine. Take it, let's, let's go out with your mom or your dad or your brother or your sister, or, you know, whatever safe way, uh, and let's, let's go out after the sun is set. Let's take a flashlight. Let's see whose eyes shine out there in the, in the backyard. And you discover quickly that spiders' eyes shine on the grass, and frogs' eyes shine, and beetles' eyes shine, and maybe a fox or a, you know whatever. So being able to present in each chapter connected to each story um, a somewhat similar activity that kids can do right outside. And if, if a lot of educators listen to this podcast, then right outside the schoolyard. You know, and I, a tangent, by the way, my one of my most favorite things, I was not a good student, but one thing that I always lit up on was when was was field day. You know, when we were going to we're going to go to the train tracks today and we're going to look for grasshoppers and praying mantis. That was I still remember that. I forget everything else about school, but I remember that, you know, and so that was part of I could put that in this book and say, let's go out and find some praying mantis. Let's go look for eye shine. Let's build a weather gauge. Right. Let me ask you this. The COVID pandemic, has it changed the way we look at the outdoors? Is there a silver lining to all of this? Mm. It's a good question because there's a silver lining and there's a dark cloud. Mm -hmm. And it's changed. How has it changed? Well, for one, it became the fallback. It became the, the well, we're, we're not going to, uh, you know, hike the Incan Trail this year. We're not going cycling in Italy. We're not we're not able to go visit your grandparents in, in Saskatchewan. We're, we're not doing any of these things. But we do have this little travel van, or we can afford to get a camper, or we're going to 
you drive our car. So all of a sudden everybody is out. Uh, and, and, uh, sorry, I'm getting, it's, it's talk about nature intervening here. I'm getting, uh, interrupted by my dog who is over there, unfortunately <laughs> drinking from the toilet. Hey, right. come here. That's what they do. Come here. There you go. You can leave all that in. Yeah. She's walking towards me with toilet water dripping from her face. I have two chocolate labs that I, <laughs> that I love and they help me yeah, uh, yeah, good exploring dogs. all the time. Um, but this whole thing about getting out in nature, and that, that's the other thing that happened. People started getting dogs. Every Dogs became, you couldn't get a dog. Mm-hmm. So now people are getting dogs. They're going out in nature because they can't go to these other places. So that's, in one way, that's a bit of a silver lining to the pandemic because it, it, it was reintroducing or introducing people to nature again. And to me, I was once a purist a long time ago in that no one should ever go there. But then I realized that if no one ever goes there, they don't know that it should be protected and saved. And so somewhere in a council meeting, something's going on about developing there and nobody was ever going there. So nobody's there to say, no, no, you can't. There's a big, huge blue heron rookery there. You can't just, you know, so I became a fan of getting people out on trails. I don't think that the wilderness or nature is going to be bombarded. At least I didn't until the pandemic. Now, this is where the, the, the darker cloud comes in because all these people, it's wonderful. They're all going to the parks. The national parks are getting out. However, they're, they're going out without knowledge, without, edu- without any education in their, in their system. They don't know, and I'll just be, be um, delicate but, but blunt about it. They don't know how to go poop in the woods. So you have right. literally millions bury it, of right? people. What's that? You got to bury it, right? Well, yeah. And, and people don't, <laughs> they don't. That's an embarrassing question to ask. They just don't know. And what happened right. at the end of the season this year? We were met with a wilderness system in North America with an, that had an onslaught of the public that left behind tons of garbage and you know mm-hmm. poor sanitation. And that was heartbreaking for me. That was really it's like, right. oh, just never more. As it, as it just shows how important outdoor education is for people to understand to do something really simple. Why people wouldn't understand not to leave their garbage there, I can't answer that one. But I do understand why they don't know how to go poop in the right. woods. And so they need to be taught. Right. Well, and I've got you here. And I want to ask a few questions that aren't necessarily related to the book because I just have the opportunity and I got to take it. So I'm going to ask you three quick questions. And I want to see what you say because I'm just a curious person. So first off, what's the scariest situation you ever found yourself in out of those you know, half a million miles that you travel the world? Well, I'm going to lean the, the answer on the way you asked the question because there's different ways to ask that question, but you use the word scariest. And so if I get asked that question and they use the word scary, I go to my number one fear moment, fearful moment, which was not the Jaguar in the Amazon jungle, though that was pretty scary. Right. It was, uh, actually being chased by a bull moose in Northern Ontario, which is in the book. That story's in the book. So perfect segue. Mm-hmm. Thank you. Uh, but it, it was, uh, yeah, I got chased by this bull moose, the full story's there. And I was up, I was trembling no pun intended, like a leaf at the top of a tree uh, and just shaking and heart pounding with 1500 pounds of bull moose trying to, trying to do me in full rack of antler, you know, and that was scary. I I did escape. You got to read the book to find out how I escaped, but uh, it was, um, it was, it was scary. Uh, That's the best word. That's the only time or one of the very few times in my life where I was exhibiting a lot of fear. You know, there's concern, there's worry, there's, oh man, I got to fix this. 
but that was fear. I was, I was scared. What's the most awe-inspiring place you've ever stood? Almost an unfair question. It's like saying, what's your favorite meal? Yeah. What's your favorite artist? What's right. your favorite music? Really tough one to answer, so the, so, uh, but I don't want to cop out on you. So my, Thank you. But I am going to give you a three-way tie. It's a three-way okay. tie for the high Andes of Peru, the high Canadian Arctic, and the Utah Canyonlands. Those three places took my breath away. That's awesome. Okay. And then last question, what's the place that you visited that you would actually want to go live? On the coast of the ocean. I have never lived on the coast of the ocean. And before I die, I want at least a year in a cabin on the ocean coast and not, not tropical. I'm thinking uh, Newfoundland. I would like to spend a year on in a cabin on the coast of Newfoundland. This windswept, you know, rainy, cold, all of that. That's I'd I'd love to do that for a year. I appreciate your perspective because it's not every day anybody gets to talk to somebody who's probably as well traveled as you that actually has seen so much, but then can actually maybe try to narrow that down a little bit for the rest of us. So so good stuff. I also want to say I I want people to realize what you did with your shows and. I don't think people realize how difficult it was. So I've got to give you mad props here because you were carrying camera gear and I I do a lot of video work. It is hard to do what you did. I mean, you had heavy gear and then plus the setup of the shoot. Like you're actually producing a TV show by yourself in the wilderness trying to survive. I I don't, do you think people understand what it really took to pull that off? (laughs) Do I think people understood what it took to pull? No, I don't think half of them have a clue how difficult it was. Hence, hence the social media posts that that just make me run out and go, dude, you have no idea what you're talking about. I mean, from lighting, audio, like there's a lot of challenges that you must have yeah. constantly experienced. Yeah, and, and I think, you know, in this era now of YouTube, I mean, don't forget when I started, the first time I, I had a shoulder mount heavy <laughs> television camera. I mean, insanity. I did this for years before, before um, GoPros were invented. Right. You know, so people have it easy now. And even, even having it easy now, it seems people don't, I'll just riff a little bit on that is, you know, to do that stuff is you still have to te- tell a beautiful story. So on one hand, uh, I, I will always argue that you must have craft. You've got to know your, your camera equipment. Audio is premier. You can't just do any old audio. You, you need to make people feel like they're right there in that, you know, raspberry patch or what have you with you. So that's storytelling. Mm-hmm. On the other hand, content is king. So if all you have is one crappy camera and terrible sound, but you tell a great story, that's good too. But you, it, I think I love blending the two: beautiful craft and and working with your camera gear. But yeah, it's hard, man. It was it was hard to to think I'm going to film myself walking through this valley, but to get it right to really make it look well, you know, I really should climb that cliff over there and put a camera up there. Mm-hmm. Okay, here I go. Put the camera up, press record, run down, do the walk, tell the story, go back up, rewind, take a look. Oh, man, I walked out of frame. Right. Oh, I got to do it again. So stuff like that happened all the time. And uh, But my passion was in the filmmaking. And so my passion made me climb that cliff. That's cool. That's really cool. Uh, again, major credit to you there. Uh, the book is called Wild Outside Around the World with Survivor Man. Um, this is Les Stroud talking to us. If Les, if somebody wants to keep up with you, I mean, where do you like to be on social media? If they want to follow you, do you push in one particular direction? Uh, actually, I'm, I'm pretty much um, 
Yeah, I'm on all of the usual social media uh, suspects. Unfortunately, I, I'll I should say one of these days I want <laughs> right. I want to quit Twitter. I'll tell you that one to me. I just like I, I know I have it'll wear you out. I feel like I'm putting something in the paper every day. It's like a, a an ad in the back three pages of a, of a cheap newspaper. That's what I feel like I'm doing when I put stuff on Twitter. But got to do it, so I'll keep <laughs> doing it. But I have a great Instagram. I'm on Instagram. But I will answer that question this way and say my best stuff right now um, is actually my YouTube channel. I'm putting for people who do know my work or don't know my work, everything I've ever done is going up on YouTube. Um, if I may, my, my two new series coming out, uh, in the film world is wild harvest, Les Stroud's oh, wild harvest, which is all about okay. local foraging. And then I, I team up with a five-star chef and he turns it into an amazing meal. So that's wow. on in the, in, in the United States, it's on, on public television, American public television. And then it's going to be online worldwide. Uh, my other series, a special coming out, it's called surviving disasters with Les Stroud. That's going to be on American public television again. Uh, uh, this spring, it's a 90 minute special and, you know, look at the timing of it with Texas and everything that's going on. Um, uh, it's all about surviving hurricanes, earthquakes, tornadoes, uh, pandemics, applicable to pandemics. Um, you know, you name it, freeze outs, blizzards, floods. So those things are all on, but then again, everything ends up on my YouTube channel. So survivor man, Les Stroud, YouTube, that's the big place to go. I would say, and then yeah, Facebook and Instagram. By the way, and a little comment Excellent. for your listeners is that if they do happen to go there and they do follow me, yes, it's actually me. I don't have a team. There's nobody filtering anything. I'm the guy. So, you know, when someone slags me on, on social media, that's me who says, yeah, delete, you're gone. <laughs> but it's also me who says, who answers the question. Are you still filming for yourself too for these projects or do you have some people helping you there? It's a yes and a no. Um, I still incorporate the old survivor man esque filming style, but in certain on, on wild harvest and even in the disasters special. Now it's more because I can that skill sets within me is like, you know what? Hey, Kevin, we're, we're going to film this uh, dish that chef Paul is making for wild harvest. Uh, you know what? I, I let's do a pickup shot though. I want, I want to get, uh, the, I want to go gather some clover. Hey, you know what? You keep ki- filming Paul. I'll just go grab my camera and I'll shoot it Survivor Man style and I'll go shoot me gathering some clover. So I actually get to have some fun, you know, but I'm, you know, I get to eat that night and stuff like that. So it's not, I'm not suffering while I do it. Excellent. Excellent. All right. Well, uh, again, Les Stroud, the book is uh, Wild Outside Around the World with Survivor Man. Um, And uh, are you ready for our pop quiz? I am very much. Go for it. Well, I'm probably not, but go for it. All right. If students could only go to school for one subject, which subject should it be? (laughs) Outdoor education, man. Yeah, and I know, yeah, so should I qualify these? You probably want the fast answer, but uh, I, yeah, I mean, you're asked, look who you're asking. So I say, I'm not even going to backtrack on that. Yeah. Well, and, and then so this next question might have the same answer. What are we not teaching in school that we should be teaching? Yeah, more outdoor education. Or at the very least, teach math and science and, and art and music and. Uh, uh, Literature, English, teach it outside. <laughs> I'm a huge Excellent. fan of that. The work of, of Richard Louvre, I don't know if you've interviewed him or not. Um, no. The, um, his stuff is fantastic, uh, all about getting kids out in nature. Uh, so, yeah, so, so every subject to me outside. What does every child deserve? Chance to be themselves. What's the biggest challenge for today's educators? In honest, the answer would be I don't know because I don't. I haven't sat with a, an educator recently. So if I use my own experience, I would say it's connectivity, connecting 
to the kids. And I will say, I will add, you, you, you be outside with a kid, the opportunity to connect is far stronger than in that classroom. What's the best gift to give an educator? If they're conscientious about it, I would say the best gift is vindication that their work has, has done something in, the, in that human being. And, and how would they get that? Maybe it's 10 years later. Maybe it's 20 years later. Maybe it's somebody saying, you know, Mr. Johnson, uh, Mrs. Smith, uh, I, I, I remember, I never forgot what you said that day. I never forgot what you taught me. I think that would be a great gift for, for an educator to receive. It's, 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 you, have to, you have to be there to get it later, but when it happens, it's pretty special. Well, and, and this next question kind of leads in that same vein. Which teacher changed your life? It wasn't... And, and bear this in mind, you know, it wasn't until college. So, yes, I wasn't a, a child. The, 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 the teachers, I don't want to depress educators out there, but the teachers of my 1970s public school education, low-income area, they didn't, they, there was more, I would suggest there was more um, hurt than there was anything else, guidance or mentorship. But the first teacher to ever, to, to have affected me was the first teacher that actually gave me some real life advice. And I didn't get, I, I, I this, we go on forever on this, but bottom line is I had no guidance, no mentorship growing up, nothing. No, no, no adult figures that gave me any of this. And the teachers didn't do it either. No guidance counselors, you know, so a lot of stuff I got from, from them was even hurtful. But one day in college, the, the teacher, and to this day we are friends, just got an email from him in fact. And he sat me down and he had no reason to tell me anything. And he just, you know, I was the class clown. I was the, 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 the guy walking down the hallway, you know, with the smile on his face. I was that guy, but I was not tapping into what I could be. And he just, and he said to me, and this was 1983, I think. And he said, you know, Les, you walk around these hallways and, you know, you're dressed in track pants and a sweatshirt. And he said, People will take you seriously if you dress properly. And that little thing, I've never, I mean, look, I'm telling it to you now, 30 years later, I never forgot that, that, right. you know, uh, it just, and I know what he was saying, just start to respect yourself. You, you have something there, Russ, respect yourself, and then others will respect you too, because right now we're not going to take you seriously. And that, that, that was a big deal. Thing. Yeah, you'll have to send them uh, a clip from this episode, so that can be your thank you, right? Absolutely. Oh, he, he knows. I've shared it with him. Again, it's that feedback. I've told him. In fact, the last email I sent to him, I said, you know, I just want to tell you something, Terry. And I've already told him anyway, but I told him again that, you know, he really kind of, he didn't change my life that day, but he, there was that, that wedge of vindication into my psyche that said, I do have something here. Right. You know, I can, I can be something. No doubt. And last question, pen or pencil? <laughs> pen. All right. Easy as that. You're listening to Les Stroud. Uh, The new book is Wild Outside Around the World with Survivor Man. Les, thank you so much for your time today. Thank you. I'm going to be like thinking all day, why did he ask pen or pencil? There must be some psychological questionnaire that has that on there. You know know where it comes from? Um, It comes from, uh, I don't know if you ever used to watch David Letterman. Did you ever watch him? Of course, yeah. And he used to do the top 10 list. And I always thought the best answer in David Letterman's top 10 list was the, the second one. And the first one was always just kind of a joke. And then they went to the band playing and it really didn't matter what the, what the number one one was. That was my opinion. That's the way I took it. So when I did this, I always kind of built that last question as kind of a, a throwaway, a quick question. And then you wrap up the show. Well, I'll bet you though, I'll, I'll bet you pen or pencils. There's a psychologist somewhere going, I know exactly what that means. And they can point right. out like it's, it, it, 
it's a, a window into my deep psyche of Les Stroud. He uses a pen, hey? Huh, figured that one. Or whatever. That's going to do it for this episode of Class Dismissed. If you want to send us an idea or comment, remember you can always email us at info at classdismissedpodcast.com or tweet us at classdismissed. We're here to support educators, but we need your support as well. So please subscribe to the show. And we'd also appreciate it if you could leave us a five-star review on iTunes. On behalf of all the good people working at School Status and Christina, representing all those educators out there, thank you for listening. I'm Nick Ortigo, and I'll talk with you next week. Class dismissed.